And while you're doing that, I'm gonna say thank you to those of you who are joining us online. Thanks for making time to worship Jesus with us. Regardless of which platform, which day of the week you're joining us, we're thankful for your life and thankful that you're making time to grow in our faith together today. Hey, let's continue in our series, My Story for His Glory. My Story for His Glory. Listen, did you know that God is writing a story in your life? Did you know that at the end of your life, whenever that day comes for you, that there's a story that could be written about your life? And did you know that inevitably there will be some good chapters and there will be some difficult chapters? And did you know that the enemy loves to come and he loves to find you when you're in one of those difficult chapters? And he loves to take a Polaroid of that moment. I mean, come on, maybe even some real difficulties, some real challenges, real obstacles, maybe even some real failures, real mistakes, real misdeeds, real sins. And the enemy likes to come and he takes a Polaroid of that moment and he holds it up before you and he says, see, you can't be loved by God. You can't be used by God. And many people, he traps in that moment and they become hindered or held back from moving forward and allowing God to continue to write the story of their life. But I'm encouraging you and I'm encouraging us and I'm encouraging me that God hasn't finished writing your story. He's not finished writing your story. If today you find yourself in a difficult chapter of your story, just understand that that's all it is. It's a chapter. Don't allow the enemy to come and put a period where the author of your story intended for there to be a comma. Let me say it this way. Don't allow a difficult or painful season to become a recurring cycle. You're going to go through some seasons. You're going to go through some, some things. You're going to go through unexpected, unforeseen, painful, difficult moments. Don't allow what God intended to be a season of your life to become a cycle in your life. Keep turning the page. Keep allowing God to write the story in your life. Keep allowing God to write the story in your marriage. And listen, I, you, you really can't do much about what's already happened in your life, those previous chapters. That's why the Apostle Paul said, there's one thing I've apprehended. He said, I haven't apprehended it all, but there's one thing I understand is critically important to my life of faith in God. And he said, that's forgetting the things that are behind and what? Pressing forward towards the future. You can't do a lot about the chapters that have already been written, but I'm telling you today, you find yourself in a chapter and you have a lot to say about what will be found upon the next page. And how that will be determined is not necessarily on how things go, but on who you know and who you turn to and who you lean upon and who you put your trust in and who you draw near to and who you press into. And today is your opportunity to say, I might be in a difficult chapter, but today I'm presenting that chapter before God. I'm taking the pain into his presence. I'm taking the unforeseen or unexpected thing into his presence. And the next page is going to look different. It's going to be my story for his glory. He's writing a story in your life. Let him keep writing it. Maybe today you're in a good chapter and there might be a difficult chapter coming that you haven't foreseen or expected. I'm telling you, when you get to that moment, would you be pre-prepared to understand that it's a season it's, and don't allow a season to become a cycle? There's gonna, I, you know, one, one thing I really, really, really appreciate about the Bible, about God's word, is that it doesn't shy away from the difficult or dark moments of people's lives. You can't point at any biblical character. You can hardly open up the page and point at it without finding a person who made a mistake or went through a difficult season or went through a wilderness season. And if, because they were willing to keep their focus on God and they were willing to keep after the purposes of God, they were able to experience what God's word promises us, that he can turn all things together for good. He can work all things together for good to those who love God and continue to be called according to his purpose. Keep loving God. Keep serving God. Keep serving people. Don't allow a difficult moment or season to cause you to step back onto the sidelines of faith or the sidelines of life. The enemy has a track record. Again, he takes a polar of that moment. He says, can you really be loved, accepted, or used of God? Yes, you can. Because that's the, that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All have sinned, all have fallen short, all have had a difficult chapter, and Jesus came to make a way that you could turn the page. Come on, look at someone next to you and tell them to turn the page. 
Keep turning the page. Keep letting God write. Don't put a period where God put a comma. Don't let a difficult season become a recurring cycle in your life, in your marriage, in your heart, in your mind. I don't know who that's speaking to today. Maybe there's something you're going through and the enemy's trying to say that's the way it's always going to be. And I'm just telling you, that's not the way it always has to be. There's strife in your marriage. There's dependency or addiction. There's fear or there's doubt or there's inferiority or insignificance. I'm just telling you, it doesn't have to always be that way. If you will take the chapter that you're in today and say, God, can I begin to partner with you? Can I ask you to put your hand on the pen of my life? Can I, can I be willing to quit trying to write it in my own strength by the, by the by sweat of my brow and by fierce determination? Those are some good things to maybe apply in certain situations. But can we just begin to surrender our life and say, God, I want my story to ultimately be about your glory. As believers, shouldn't that really be one of our highest goals? That my life, in the twists and the turns and the mountains and the valleys, the good and the bad and the ugly and everything else in between, come on, who's been through some stuff? To say at the end of it all, the Bible didn't shy away from saying there will be some sorrows, there will be some tribulations, but at the end of it all, I want to remain faithful to God so that at the end of it all, when people look at the story of my life, when, when people tell stories about my life, that it points them to God, my story for his glory. It really ought to be one of our highest goals. Jesus did not come to make bad people less bad. He came to restore sons and daughters to a kingdom family, a royal family, and to help you find your place in the eternal kingdom story that God is writing in the earth. He came to deliver us from some things, and he came to deliver us to some things. My story for his glory really ought to be one of the highest goals our life. Come on, I hope at the end of this series, you really have in a new way or a fresh way or a deeper way, embrace this, that your life, it, it, you were created on purpose for a purpose, and that through all those things that I've, been, that I've mentioned already, the twists, the turns, the good, the bad, the mountains and the valleys, there really is a way, if you'll keep focused on God, if you'll keep serving God, loving God, serving people, there really is a way where on the backside of it all, when that final chapter is written, whenever that's coming for you, and you begin eternity, because this life is a vapor, the word of God says eternity is a really long time. But this is just the opportunity for us to say, Lord, while we're on this side of eternity, there'll be a moment where we'll get to to be in your presence. There'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. Come on, that's going to be a good day when we're all there celebrating, worshiping. Come on, what we experienced this morning in the presence of God in worship, it pales in comparison to what we'll experience when we're looking and gazing upon the face of the one who loved you so much he came to save you and heal you. But on this side of eternity to say, my story for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works. They can see the life that you're living amongst the people in your, co- in your workplace, in your school, in your community, on your sports team. They might see the way that you're living and shining the light of Jesus, and they would glorify your Father in heaven. The way that you live matters. God's writing a story in your life, and it's intended to ultimately point to his glory. First Peter 4, 11 says, speaking of the different gifts that God has invested in all the body of Christ and the people of God, and listen, he's put a gift in your life. There's a grace, there's an anointing, there's a perspective, there's an experience, there's a testimony that God has put in your life. Would you receive it today? Watch what it says. It says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. He's writing a story in your life. Don't get caught in a difficult season. Don't get caught in a difficult chapter of your life. Allow God to turn the page in your marriage. What look, what the way it looks today in this chapter, I'm telling you, can you imagine if, if, if you just allowed yourself to just point at the moment 
of betrayal in Joseph's life or the moment of adultery in David's life or the moment where Moses was literally taking things into his own hands and murdering the man who was oppressing the other Israelites. Can you imagine if you looked at it and you just read that page, you wouldn't know how God redeemed and God restored and God showed up and God anointed and God forgave and God began to empower and God used those people of old because they were willing to say, listen, I'm gonna have some difficult chapters in my story, but ultimately my life is his. It doesn't belong to me, my story for his glory. All right. First Samuel chapter 17, that was just the introduction right there. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna dig back into, I'm actually preaching the second half of last week's message. And I intended to get to it all, intended to get into David and Goliath, but I got so caught up in what the Holy Spirit was speaking to us about 1 Samuel 16, which was the, the calling of David, the anointing of David, the preparation of David, because I realized God cares as much about that season as he does about the season where you step onto the battlefield and slay the giants, because if you don't get formed in the dark places, in the hidden places, if you don't get the character, what, you, you might stumble when you get to the calling. And what was intended in the calling in the place of victory that was intended to be a blessing can actually be a burden if you don't allow God to form you back in the hidden places, in the secret places, in the dark places before you're getting the glory, before the light begins to shine on you. And so if you missed that message, go back and listen to it. There was a lot that the Lord did, a lot of people that God ministered to, and I trust that the Holy Spirit can still use it even though it's seven days old to minister to you. But today we pick up the second half of the story, and we are going to get into David and Goliath. And come on, who doesn't like a good story about a giant, the giant coming down, amen? But here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a big part of the chapter, almost the whole chapter, and so hang with me. But as we're reading it, the Holy Spirit's just highlighted a few places that I believe we're going to stop, and I'm going to preach a little bit at you. And then the goal is, if time allows, for me to also teach a little bit towards you today. I hope to in inspire through preaching and inform through teaching. We'll see if I can get there uh, by the end of the service. But also, can I encourage you with something, and, and I want to encourage you to do this, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but every day. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a spirit of revelation as you read the Bible? Would you no longer see the Bible as just words on a page, but it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword? Would you begin to enter into God's Word, and would you understand that He wants to give you, not just your preacher or your elder or a Sunday school teacher, a, an anointing to begin to see what God intended to, for you to receive, and in certain seasons, something else, maybe beyond what you've seen in that scripture before, might jump off the page because God is, God's word is so profound that one season you might read it and receive one thing and in another season you might read the very same verse and receive a whole different reminder or revelation about who you are in Christ or who God is to you or what he said he'll do for you. So can we just receive that today? We're gonna read this chapter. Would you ask, beyond the times where maybe I park and I stop and I unpack some things, maybe the Holy Spirit will do that for you in a whole different place of the chapter, amen? All right, First Samuel 17, verse one, and it says this. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azalah at Ephes Demim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. And doesn't it feel like kind of what we find ourselves in today? Our culture polarized. And, and you might think it's Republicans and Democrats, or you might think it's this belief or this belief, or you might think it's this perspective or this perspective, but I'm just telling you, in many ways, in many ways, in many ways, you really see that what's happening in our culture really is, will you stand for God or are you going to live for the world? And, and reading on 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, it says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp, and his height was six cubits and a span there's a little bit of disparity about what people think that actually means in, in our terms, but most people agree it was around nine foot, nine inches tall. Some people believe it was as much as 12 foot tall, but come on, either way, just look at your neighbor and say, that's really tall. 
He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels, which was about 125 pounds. We took a walk through our neighborhood. We got a little puppy, and I don't, I don't know what we were thinking, but we got a little puppy, and, and he's, he's, he's been a blessing, you know, but it's kind of like having a baby again, you know, and, and by that, I mean, my wife is up during the night while I'm sleeping, you know, <laughs> and uh, we were taking the little puppy through a walk, you know, and, he's, and half the time, that means you're dragging a puppy through the neighborhood, you know, so you're kind of training a 10-week-old puppy to be leash trained and to go on a walk with you through the neighborhood, and, and Evan had decided to wear his flip-flops through the neighborhood on the walk, and and what he didn't realize is that that meant it might be a little problematic for him to do what he normally does, and that's kind of spin and pirouette and walk backwards, you know, and everything. And so he, he had already tripped and fallen a few times and skinned his knee and everything. And I was like, man, note to self, no more flip-flops on the walk for a four-year-old, you know. And, but so I, I eventually I just said, Evan, come here. And I, put, I said, you want to you wanna piggyback ride? And I picked him up, and I put him up on my shoulders, and I walked with him the whole way around the neighborhood. And I'm telling you, by the time we got about two or three blocks into it, I was feeling it, you know. I was like, this was a bad decision on my part. And he weighs 45 pounds. Goliath's armor weighed 125 pounds. This was a big guy. This was a big giant. This was an opposing, intimidating enemy. And it says, verse 6, on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. Can you picture it? His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point, just the tip of the spear weighed 600 shekels. That equates to about 15 pounds. And it says his shield bearer went ahead of him, which means his shield was so big he actually had to have someone else to carry it for him. Uh, reading on, verse 8, 1 Samuel 17, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. I wonder if anyone's ever felt like the enemy has come to you and said, who are you to stand and fight against me? Who are you to think that you can have a godly marriage? Who are you to think that you can make a difference in the community? Who are you to think that you can step up and serve? Don't you know I know the thing that you said? I know the thing that you did. I know the things you still think. And, and that's the way the enemy operates as he comes and he says, who do you think you are? And Goliath is operating in that same spirit. He's saying, who do you guys think that you are coming against me on the battlefield? Don't you know who I am? And I just think today, maybe this story is going to remind some of you that you aren't enough, but because of the fact that Jesus Christ resides in you and his spirit empowers you and because of what he stepped onto the battlefield and was willing to do by laying down his life and going to the cross and going to the tomb and rising again, and come on, in a few weeks, we'll celebrate that even more intentionally and specifically. Because of those things, you don't have to be enough. And when the enemy comes and he says, who are you? Who do you think you are? Maybe one of the best ways to just disarm that is quit arguing with him and just start agreeing with him. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? I mean, I mean this. Yeah, you're right. In my own strength, I'm not enough. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't be the husband you've called me to be. I can't be the wife that you've called me to be. I can't be the father that you've called me to be. I can't be the mother that you've called me to be. I can't be the preacher or the minister or the servant leader that you called me to be. I can't do those things in my own strength. You're right about that, but the good news is I don't have to do it in my own strength. I don't have to make my own way. I can begin to accept the anointing, the empowerment, and the relationship. I can begin to abide in Christ and he in me and the things that seem impossible with man can begin to be possible for me. Come on, someone ought to say a good amen right there. You don't have to go it alone, and you don't have to be enough. It's never been about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about saying, Jesus, I, it's, it's on your grace that I stand. Man, I, I mean, how much more can I just become dependent on God 
and leaning on him and looking to him and trusting in him. And I stumble and I fall, just like the Bible says, a righteous person will even do seven times. And I just continue to get up and say, God, it's never about me. I knew I was going to stumble and fall. I knew it was going to happen. You told me that even when I was righteous, I would stumble and fall. But I'm getting up and I'm moving ahead because it's never been about me and what I could do and my own strength and all the religious things I could do to feel like I was acceptable or right with God or look right in, in the eyes of man before God. It's never been about that. It's all about the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. Who are you? Who who are you coming out to fight? David knew who he was. And so the story continues to get written. I think for a lot of folks, maybe right there, it would be, oh, he's right. I'm 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 just a little guy, and he's a big giant, and he's got all this experience, and I'm just inexperienced. But David knew who he was in Christ. And Goliath continued to taunt them, and they said, he said, choose one man. Right there, say one man. Say, one man, to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and his Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. I had to say that because that's later in my notes, but I'm not sure I'm going to get there. Here's the other point that we could take from it, and that's this, that all God is looking for is one man, one woman. Don't wait for the person to your left or the person to your right. Don't wait for someone else to come in and, 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 and take the, make the step or t- make the call or extend the forgiveness. Today, he's just saying maybe you would be surprised at what can happen in your marriage or your family or your workplace or wherever it is that I've called you and appointed you and anointed you and placed you when just one person begins to say, I'll step up and I'll, do, I'll be the one that shows up and speaks up and I'll be the one that begins to extend prayer to the coworkers who need it or begin to point people towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. All you need is one man. Come on, will you be the person? Will you be the one man? Will you be the one woman? And the stakes are high. The stakes are high. He said, if I win, you're going to be our slaves. If you win, we'll be your slaves. And the same battle is being waged in in marriages and families to this day. The enemy is coming and he's he's battling and he's fighting. And it's, it's, it's because he desires to put you and your family or your heart or your mind or your hands into captivity. And he's saying, right now, you got to understand the stakes are high. I'm, I don't know who I'm preaching to today who's going to realize or see it in a new way that, that you're going through a spiritual battle. There's, there's a, their stakes are high in your marriage and your family. And right now, today is the opportunity. I don't know what you come out of or what you're standing in, but to say, as for me, today, I'm going to be the one man who begins to humble myself, who begins to pray, who begins to worship, who begins to seek God, who begins to, once again, get into the word of God so that I can be the one who breaks off the chains of despair, who breaks off the chains of addiction, who breaks off the chains of lust, who breaks off those chains and says, it will stop with me. He says, send me a man who will fight me. And when the Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and they were deeply shaken. We got to begin to train men and women. But as we turn the calendar on the Turned the page on the calendar, went into this new year. I felt the Lord impress upon me. We're doing it in women's ministry and men's ministry. There was an amazing women's ministry event that happened here a couple weeks ago. I was watching it from home online. Just amazing how many women were here. And God was speaking prophetically. And the ladies were just worshiping God. It was an amazing, beautiful thing to behold. But in men's ministry, God, God began to challenge me and say, begin to gather the men and begin to train them how to fight. The Bible says that you got to learn how to fight the good fight. 
The Bible says you gotta learn how to run the race of faith. And so we're gonna, we begin to intentional. Next Saturday morning, that's what that's about. Would you come? If you're a man, if you've got a teenage son, would you bring him with you? And, and would you come? We're gonna fellowship, we're gonna eat, we're gonna hear a word, an inspirational word. We're gonna challenge each other. We're gonna sharpen one another. And we are going to become men of the spirit and men of the word, kingdom men who know what it's like. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. We might someone fall, but we're gonna be there to pick each other up and we're gonna begin to fight for our families and we're gonna begin to fight for our churches and we're gonna begin to fight for our communities in the way that God would have us to do. Would you come and be part of it? It's why we're gathering with some men's ministry leaders and we're developing a thing that's gonna take place called Ignite on April 23rd and it's designed for teenage boys and there's a, there's a kind of a, a mirror event that's gonna be taking place on that same day for teenage girls in our church because we've sensed the heart of God saying, come around the next generation and begin to show and tell and teach and model and be real with them about what it looks like to be a man or a woman of God. And so we're developing this, we're meeting, we're planning, we're investing heavily in it to create like a rite of passage where we take them through all these adventures and these journeys and all along we're pointing to biblical truths and all along we're telling them that the world has a lot to say about what it means to be a man, but God has a lot to say also about what it means to be a man and this is what God's word has to say and we begin to say as kingdom men, this is who we are in Christ and because of who we are in Christ, this is how we live, this is who we are and this is what we do. He said, send me a man who will fight. We gotta begin to learn how to fight. Not according to the ways of the world, not with the weapons of the world, but with the weapons of the spirit, with God's word, which is a sword. Reading on verse 17, it says, one day Jesse, who was David's father, earthly father, said to David, David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain and see how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they were doing. David was basically Uber Eats or DoorDash right here. He was delivering pizza to his brothers and the captains on the battlefield. And reading on verse 20, it says, so David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. And soon after, the Israelites and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. And the enemy is still operating in our lives through the methods of, and the tactics of fear and intimidation. Fear and intimidation. If you are going to bring down the giants in your life and the giants in your family and your marriage, you are going to have to overcome the spirit of fear and intimidation. We know the end of the story and we know that Goliath is gonna fall. But in this moment, his taunting, his shouting, his arrogance, his boasting, his bragging, and his own strength was causing the Israelite army to shrink back and hold back. And I'm just telling you, the enemy is still operating that same way. What area of promise or potential or calling or anointing or destiny or the future that God has for you is the enemy speaking and barking and shouting against you to cause you to shrink back or to hold back from running forward and moving forward and standing in the victory and advancing the kingdom? You're going to have to learn how to overcome the spirit of fear and intimidation because the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. Another translation says of self-control. But you know what's interesting is that the Bible doesn't really say that faith and fear are necessarily opposites. The Bible says we walk by faith and you would think it might say and not by fear but it says and not by sight. 
So what, what that means to me is this, that there are gonna be some times where you're going to be walking by faith and yet maybe still experiencing fear. That maybe faith is not the absence of fear, but faith is the response to fear. That there's gonna be some times where you're walking by faith and you're still going to experience fear. But in that moment, you'll understand that what the Bible actually more clearly outlines is the opposite of fear is love. So 1 John 4, 18, there is no love and fear, perfect, there is no fear in love. Perfect love cast out all fear. And what we're about to find is that David knew who he was in Christ and he had a relationship with God that allowed him to overcome the shouts of intimidation and fear. You need to understand that when the enemy comes, the Bible says, 1 Peter 4, 8, I believe it is, the enemy comes like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I think that's, that could sound kind of intimidating, but if you dig a little deeper, it says, like a roaring lion. And what I know about lions is that they roar to try to get the, the herd to scatter so that they can pick off the most vulnerable and the weak. And that's what he's doing in your marriage. That's what he's doing in your life. He's roaring at you to try to get you to flee from the place that God has called to be your inheritance, your ground, your home, your marriage, your identity. And so he's gonna come and he's gonna roar, but when he roars, you need to understand he's just like a roaring lion. And what you need to be reminded of is that behind you is the actual lion who is the lion of Judah. And he roars and he can actually see through the things that he is speaking to you and he will lead you to those, those times and places where there's fear and intimidation because there is no fear in love. And God loves you so much, he said he would never leave you, never forsake you. In the valley, he'll be there. Through the waters, he'll be there. In the fire, he'll be there. Why? Because he loves you so much. And you begin to understand, man, God loves me so much. He would never leave me for sitting there. I even have a legitimate reason to be fearful. But faith is my response to the fear. Reading on verse 25, it says, have you seen this giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. Every day. Every day, and I just wonder who's maybe been going through something and he thought it would have shifted or changed already, but it just every day. And it says, the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. And, and he will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. And David, verse 26, asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? And who is this pagan Philistine anyways? that he is allowed to define the armies of the living God. And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. You'll get the king's daughter as your wife, and you and your family will be exempt from taxes for all of their days in the nation of Israel. And I think if I was David, and at least in this day, I would say, well, what about gasoline? Can I have some gasoline discounts? <laughs> but did you catch something? David said, David said, oh, 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 he said, back that up. He said, run that by me again. He said, what will people get? He said, what will the man get? And here's the point. Here's the moral of that story is that what other people saw as obstacles and opposition, David saw as opportunity. He, he said, wait a minute, what, what, what? And I'm telling you, the fight that God's calling you to fight, there's a good blessing on the other side of the war. There's a good blessing on the other side of the perseverance and the diligence and the prayers and the fasting and the worship and the, and the Bible study and the, and the forgiveness and, and whatever it looks like in your life to kind of draw near and press near to God. There's a benefit. There's a promise. There, we, don't do, we, don't, we don't serve God for all the things he can give us, but I'm telling you, David understood that what other people saw as an obstacle or opposition. David said, I, I, I sense an opportunity. And did you know that in, in your own life, in your work, in your workplace, in, 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 in any area of your life, 
that if, if we'll just commit, if we'll ask God and say, God, would you give me the wisdom? Would you give me the grace? Would you give me the insight? Would you give me the, the discernment? Would you give me a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge to be a problem solver? Almost any place in your workplace, I mean, really, just make it real. In your workplace, when there's a problem, if you'll say, you know what, all that problem that other people are kind of running from or hesitant to really tackle or take on, I'm going to begin to say, God, would you give me, because your spirit resides in me, the grace and the wisdom to not just see the problem but begin to be part of the solution. And I'm just telling you, people, I mean, this is kind of a practical way to apply this, but I'm telling you, it's powerfully true. People who are willing to see obstacles and oppositions as opportunities and present themselves to be part of the solution to a problem are on their way to a promotion. In your workplace, if you begin to go and you say, hey, the sales that are lagging or the things that can't be accounted for or whatever, boss, hey, can, can, I, can I take a try at that? And then you understand that God's our, our God. Now, would you? I've got an opportunity here. What was a problem in opposition? I've got an opportunity. Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me grace? Would you give me insight from heaven? Come on. You have the spirit of God. Did you know the Bible says you have the mind of Christ? Would you thank him for it and begin to put it to use? And just watch. Opposition and obstacles. David said, that looks like an opportunity. When we were turning, going through February and March of 2020 and the pandemic was unleashed and people were being forced to stay at home and all those things, I didn't know how it would look. I didn't know how it would go. I just went to the presence of God and I said, God, you're gonna have to show me how to lead. You're gonna show us, have to show us what to do. And God spoke quickly to my heart. I brought it to you guys. I shared it with you multiple times through that season. I said, I felt like the spirit of God quickened in my spirit and said, what well, looks like opposition, if we will keep loving God and we will keep, keep being called according to his purpose, he'll take what looks like opposition and he'll turn it into opportunity. And did you realize that even in that, it was a difficult, challenging season. I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, diminishing that. But in that season, we just said, God, we're going to look at what seems like opposition. We're going to trust that somehow, way, you will and can do what your word says that you can and will do. You'll take all the things that, that are opposing us, and you will somehow work it together for your good. And did you know that there are many, many, many precious people joining us right there in that online church platform that we would not have reached, that would not be part of this church family, that would not have heard the gospel and responded to it because we said, you know what? We're not going to fold up shop. We're not going to close up and go home. We're going to say, God, how can we turn opposition? into an opportunity. We quickly gathered up the gear and the technology and all the things that we needed to launch that online platform to keep us connected, but also now we're preaching the gospel all around the world. What the enemy intended to close our doors in opposition and obstacles is now an opportunity for many people to hear and know that Jesus is Lord. Come on, we can do a better clap than that. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's, that's just an illustration and an example. What's your obstacle? Where's your opposition? Where's the place where you thought it was gonna go one way? We did not see that coming. And I'm telling you, the same will be true for you. God, I didn't expect this. this. I didn't expect the economic downturn. I didn't expect the business problem. I didn't expect the unexpected bills. I didn't expect the diagnosis. I'm telling you, opposition and obstacles. You just say, God, can I just trust you that somehow, someway, you'll do what you said that you'll do. Turn it all together for good. I'm gonna keep loving you. And I'm going to remain called according to your purpose, which means I'm going to keep serving others in your name. In the condition of our culture and our world, it's troubling indeed. And we need to be people of prayer. Come on, we need to be people of prayer. Prayer makes a difference. 
And, and we need to be people of action. I, I'm behind the scenes and I'm looking for some relationships over in Ukraine that we can begin to not just pray, but we can begin, and prayer is powerfully important, but we're gonna begin to send resources. We're gonna begin to build relationship so that when this war ends in Jesus' mighty name, that we'll be ready to go in and help. And we're, we, we've, I've, I'm expressing interest saying, hey, if there's refugees, if there's orphans, if there's things you need specifically and intentionally, would you reach out to us? Because we're praying for you, but we also wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus. And when that place begins to open back up and we could go back in there, we're gonna help them rebuild. And so we are, we're, we're taking, steps of faith. The condition of our culture and our world is troubling indeed. But what if, as the people of God, we looked around and we realized, listen, this is not surprising God. He told us, if you read the good book, he told you that this was what it was going to look like. In the last days that people would be hateful and evil and people would be revilers and people would despise what is good and they would embrace what was evil and people would be selfish and greedy. The Bible told us that that's what it would look like in our culture. And what if we realized that God is not surprised, he's not caught off guard and we said, maybe we get the opportunity to really begin to believe and live out what we've preached for many years and that's this, that the light shines brightest in the darkest moments. And we look around and instead of being shaken, we say, oh, that looks like opposition and that looks like obstacle. But what we see is an opportunity for a great harvest of souls because maybe many, many people, when the world is shaking and the world is trembling, are going to finally come to know and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, someone ought to say amen. The pathway to promotion is always, always stepping up to solve a problem. What was viewed as many people as obstacle and opportunity, David seized. As obstacle and opposition, David seized it as an opportunity. Reading on verse 32 David says, don't worry about this Philistine. He's speaking to Saul. And he said, I'll go fight him. And watch this. Saul said, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. I wonder if anyone's ever heard that same thing from the enemy of your soul. Who are you to step on the battlefield? You're only this. Did you know that if you've got Christ in you, the hope of glory, you're not only anything. You're not only anything. Because D, your DNA now, we, 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 we held that bread and we drank that cup. And within that cup, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ, is the power of the resurrection. And so now part of your DNA is the very power of the resurrection because the Bible says that the same spirit that quickened the body of Jesus Christ to, from, from death to life is now the same spirit that is moving through you. Don't let anyone ever tell you you're only this or you're only that. If you've got Christ in you, the hope of glory, you're not only anything. It says David persisted. David persisted. You're going to have to pers persist. You're going to have to persevere. I mean, how many of us, I mean, myself in different seasons, if maybe I didn't have other men of God around me or whatever encouraging me, there might be some times where in, in, a, mo in, a, in a moment where I was maybe weak or weary or wounded or I had drifted from God, there might have been some moments where I would have just kind of believed that is true. You know, maybe he's right. Who, who, who am I? But it says David persisted. And is it possible that he persisted because he knew he had a relationship with God and he knew who was on his side? And maybe in this season, God is calling you to persist and not just in your own strength. It's not about just enduring or persevering. It's about doing those things, understanding who you are in Christ Jesus and who it is that's standing with you in the midst of the battle. And it says David persisted. And he said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. Come on, look at someone and say, go after it. Come on, look at, look at your other neighbor and say it with a little bit more enthusiasm. <laughs> say, go after it. Go after it. Go after it. 
There was something that was in David's soul that, that was a go-after-it kind of a guy. He didn't, he didn't take it as it came. When, there, when the enemy tried to come and steal the, steal the lamb or the sheep or the goat from his father's flock, he went after it. He went after it. Come on, we got to start going after some things again. we got to start getting after some things. And he said, I would go after it with a club, and I would rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turned on me, I would catch it by the jaw and club it to death. And I have done this to both lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Do you understand this, that David is sharing a testimony of what God had already done in his life that was preparing him to have faith for what God was about to do? Many of you have forgotten some of the things that God has already delivered you from, seen you through, or maybe you never even know about it because he kept you from some things. And maybe today God is saying, hey, you don't forget that there was a season where you were fearful, anxious, worrisome, and you didn't think you were going to make it, but you are still standing. And the faith for the future, for the giant that is about to come down in your life, is going to be built by the testimonies of the past. David built a testimony in a hidden place. David built a testimony, that place that was a place of rejection, the father's farm on the back 40 where the other seven brothers were told to go and be the ones that Samuel might anoint. It was actually, in the world's eyes, it was a place of rejection. In God's eyes, it was a place of preparation. He was writing a testimony. He was forming the faith. He was, he was showing him that he would be faithful in the little battles and he'd be faithful in the great battles. And Dave, David said, I, 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 God's shown up in my life before. There were some times where, and we, we tend to read it in religious terms, I think he's talking about real lions and real bears. And how many know that's a bad day? And he's, he's saying, I mean, I wasn't supposed to make it when the 800-pound lion came charging into my camp. And I realized that in my own strength, I shouldn't have made it. That's what gave him the faith to realize, man, if God could deliver me from that, he will deliver me today and he will see me through. And it says, Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. David persisted. Saul consented. Go ahead and may the Lord be with you. And I think there's maybe some sarcasm kind of written in there that we can't maybe fully get from the Bible. I think he was saying, you're going to need God on this one, buddy. And it says, verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail, and David put it on, strapped a sword over, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And watch what David said. He said, I cannot go in these. I'm not used to them. David took them off. Listen, you need to, there's a couple things we can learn from this, and one is that you do not need to try to do or be what anyone else is or is doing to accomplish and bring down the giant that God has strategically, specifically, and intentionally formed and fashioned and prepared you to take down. Don't, don't compare yourself to others. Understand that the experiences, the testimony, the thing that God is doing and writing, the story that God is writing in your life, he needs you in that moment. And, and, and they tried to say, okay, David, if you're gonna go, this is what you gotta do. You gotta put on this armor. You gotta do this. You gotta look the part. You gotta do all this. And David said, that's not the way God's shown up before in my life. And that's not who I am. And is it possible he also was just saying, you know what? I, 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 and the previous times where God has delivered me and seen me through and helped me to experience a battle, he did it in such a way that he got all the glory. And I feel like the Lord wanted me to come today and encourage you out of that passage where, 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 where David said, I'm not gonna wear this, that maybe some of us are not experiencing the fullness of the, bat, of the victory that God intends for you to experience in the, in the battle that you're up against because you're trying to experience a victory, a spiritual victory with earthly methods. And you think you gotta do this or you gotta do this or you gotta do this. And maybe there's some things we really can't do. Come on, I'm not against 
reading a book or, or, or taking a class or doing whatever, but I'm telling you, maybe there's someone today that is gonna be reminded that the pathway to the victory in your life is going to be through spiritual weapons, which the Bible says are not like the weapons of the world, but they're mighty for pulling down strongholds and slaying giants. And maybe today you're gonna realize in a new or a fresh way or commit yourself in a new or a fresh way to say, you know what? That victory is not going to be apprehended by anything other than me hitting my knees in old-fashioned prayer, trusting God and seeking God and looking to him and lifting up those kids who are no longer serving God or who are running from God, lifting up that, that mountain of bills or debt or financial or, or medical bills that I didn't expect and I don't know how I'll pay it. I'm not going to try to go and, and win a spiritual battle with earthly methods. I'm going to understand there might be some things God calls me to do, but ultimately the battle belongs to God. And I believe that he's calling some of us back to that place, that place of prayer, that place of praise, that place of God's presence, that place of God's promises, which are found in his word, so that God will ultimately get the glory. I actually think if David had gone into the battle wearing all that stuff, he wouldn't have had the success that he had. Stop trying to gain a spiritual victory with earthly methods. Reading on verse 40, we're almost done, hang in there. He said, it says, he picked up five stones from a stream, put them in a shepherd's bag. And armed with only a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And it says, Goliath walked out towards David with the shield bearer ahead of him and sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. He said, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods and said, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. And David replied to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you. In the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And today, 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 the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and give your bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled. Will know that the Lord rescues his people. He rescues his people but not with sword and spear. For this is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. And as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him and reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out one stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. I was reading it, I had never seen this before. It hit him in the forehead, shouldn't he have fallen backwards? But it says he fell forwards and I just think that that it's because of this. It's because the, sword, the, the sling and the stone was not what was accomplishing the victory. It was the spirit of God that was on the battlefield that day. And, the, and in natural sense, maybe if he was hit in the forehead, he should have fallen backwards, but it says he fell forward. And I think it was Jesus on the battlefield alongside David saying, when your giants fall, they're gonna fall into a position of worshiping and recognizing like every knee and every tribe and every tongue will one day recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. All right, well, I didn't make it to the second half of the message, so. <laughs> you'll have to, and I'm disappointed because I think the best part of the message was about to happen, so you'll have to come back next week if you want to hear it. Stand to your feet. You know what I believe? I believe every one of us has a giant in our life. A giant of insignificance, a giant of inferiority, a giant of dependency or addiction. Depression, despair, anxiety, worry, fear, lack. Strife in your marriage. Debt or 
unsurmountable bills, a relationship that there's been an interruption or a division or a misunderstanding that now has you isolated or disconnected from the people you love the most. I, I, I don't know what it is for you. I know there's a lot of other examples in addition to those, but I believe in every one of our lives, there's bound to be one giant. I've got some medical things with my eyes. I'm praying through and it pales in comparison to some of the giants that you're facing. But I'm just saying, in, in every one of our lives, there's some sort of a giant that we're up against today that I believe that God intended to use this message and this moment to bring fresh faith and inspiration, a revelation for you to understand that it's no longer about you. You don't have to do it alone, that God is gonna show up alongside you and with you. He's gonna help you. The battle belongs to God, that, that your enemy is coming against you with the things of the world, the sword and the spear and the javelin, but you can once again, or in a new way like David, began to say, I come against you today, whatever that is, what, what's your giant? And today you need to come against that thing in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Today, begin to come against it. Maybe you've been fighting, you've been striving, you've been trying to persevere, whatever, but you realize today, man, I, I'm thankful for the reminder to, to begin to speak against that thing and pray against that thing and come against it and trust God in the name of Jesus. So would you do something with me? I, I, I ask us and lead us to get in this posture often. It's because it's a posture of, of presenting something before God, that giant in your life, and in the same movement, it's an opportunity to receive what God wants to do. He wants to remind you of his love. He wants to cast out fear with his perfect love. He wants to stir fresh faith and courage for the future. He wants to give you wisdom and insight and discernment about how to be a part of the solution. He wants to do all those things and more. Right now, would you just lift your hands before the Lord and, and, and allow me to pray for you? And would you begin to pray over that situation, begin to pray over those lost loved ones, begin to pray over that lack or that need or that hope or that dream? And Lord, we just thank you that you are still in the business of bringing down giants. And we come against the spirit of fear and intimidation that caused all the others to kind of shrink back and hold back. And we thank you that today you're just looking for one man, one woman to say yes to God, to say yes to faith, to say yes to Christ. And to understand that as we step onto the battlefield once again, we, we receive the fresh wind in ourselves and the faith in our hearts to once again maybe get after something. That, that we'll understand we're not doing it in our own strength. The battle belongs to you, God. And we'll do our part, Lord, but we're not going to go it alone. We're not going to do it in our own strength. We thank you, Lord, that we're going to find those places, those hidden places where you can begin to show us in your word and, and, and fill us with your spirit. God, once again, in a new way, God, so that we can begin to experience the victory you have for us. And I'm just telling you, there's victory on the other side of that commitment. I'm just telling you, some, I, I believe today... For some people, the giant has already come tumbling down in your heart, in your life, in your mind. I believe for others, it's gonna take a season of doing what the Bible says, surrendering to God, submitting to God, and resisting the enemy, pushing back on his lies and his schemes and his devices. But I trust that all of us in, in God's due season are going to experience the giant falling down. We just thank you for it today, God. Thank you for it today, God. Thank you for what it's gonna mean to marriages and families. David was the one that stepped out on that battlefield, but it brought faith and courage and strength to all the other ones who had been kind of in shackles and chains and bondage of fear and intimidation. And today, man of God, if you begin to take a step of faith towards Christ and begin to live it out in a little bit different way, just watch what it does to the atmosphere of your marriage and your home. And we receive it today. And right there, just stay in that posture of receiving. Just stay in that posture of, of presenting and receiving. And 
And, and as you do that, I'm gonna give people the most important thing that we do today. It's the opportunity to come home to God, to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here or online and you've once knew God, loved God, maybe grew up in the church, but you've drifted from God. You've maybe made some bad choices or you've kind of just gotten preoccupied with life and whatever caused you to do it, you look up today and you realize you're far from him. And you're what the Bible describes clearly as a prodigal son or daughter. And just like in that story in the Bible, when that prodigal son took one step, it says he just took a step onto the, to the father's property. The father went running towards him to welcome him and embrace him. And he threw a party and he called everyone together and he said, look, my son has come back home. And I'm telling you, if that's you today, you're a prodigal son or daughter. God knew how it was gonna go for you when you went and tried to do it in your own strength. And he's waiting, he's waiting, and he's looking, and he's searching, and he's longing for you to just take that one step towards him. And he's going to wrap you in his arms and he's going to welcome you back home and he's going to begin to help you get set free of all the stuff that you went and experienced and did and he's going to help you begin to discover what it looks like to once again be restored to a relationship with him that's way beyond religion and maybe you're here today or online and you've never put your faith and trust in jesus christ received the free gift of salvation that we cannot earn we can never deserve it's a free gift and you don't have to get good before you get God. You just say yes to the free gift of salvation and God welcomes you home and he begins to help you begin to bring order to your life. And so if that's you, you're in either camp or anywhere in between, right now, don't delay, this is your moment. And right now, here's what we're gonna ask you to do. We're gonna ask you to raise your hand high towards heaven and don't wait, right now, if that's you, you're a prodigal son or daughter, you need Jesus, you need forgiveness. Raise your hand high towards heaven. If you're online, I think it's powerfully important you take a moment, pull over to the side of the road, get up from your couch, wherever you are, and, and raise your hand. You're not responding to people or a pastor, you're responding to your father. One more moment, just say yes, just receive. If you raised your hand in this room and online, you could lower it. Here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna pray this prayer with you. We're gonna pray it with you. We're not gonna isolate you or make a few of you pray it alone today, we're gonna pray it with you today. Because we want to show you there's brothers and sisters who were once right where you are, maybe far from God or needing a Savior. We want to show you we're going to come alongside you, help you, encourage you, strengthen you, uh, 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 disciple you, whatever it takes to help you begin to discover the life God has for you. And the other reason, the second reason we do it every week, we pray it together, is because we realize that everything that God could ever build and grow in our life of faith, it's all built on the foundation of grace. And so come on, many amazing, I mean some amazing people gave their life to Christ today. Let's join with them. Let's pray this together with some fresh passion in our hearts. Come on, repeat after me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior, and I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start, and I give you that life. I give you my trust, and because of Jesus, Come on, say it loudly. I will never be the same. And then put your hands together with all of heaven. Come on. Hey. Come on, giants are still falling. Come on, let's worship the Lord one more time together and then we'll dismiss you.